All right. Good evening, everyone. Dashiell Miller. Uh, I'm talking to you from Miami, which is, what, hundreds of miles from where my home is? Anyway, um, just getting back into the country and uh, going to try to keep this a little bit more low-key, uh, low-volume than uh, I normally do. Uh, we're in our hotel room. My wife's not feeling well, trying to get some sleep. So, uh, And uh, hopefully the Internet will hold up and do what we need it to do, right? So anyway, um, what I'm going to be just uh, talking about tonight is something that I just recently covered for my inner circle guys, right? We were talking about um, the ninjas, uh, shinobi shizoku, right? The ninja suit or whatever people like to like to call it, right? The ninja outfit, all that kind of stuff that we keep seeing from movies and on the uh, covers of books and, and, and things like that, right? So while well, I covered some of this stuff with them, uh, there, there were some things that I wish I could have done a little bit more of during that class, so we're going to take a look at that during this one. Anyway, so uh, the big question to answer is, why did you wear black? And just like with handgun training and why a pistol over a revolver and people go to number of rounds, people going to black because it's about stealth, um, yeah, that's not right either. So we're going to take a look at that and uh, some other details when we get back. So the big question is this. How are self-defense and success-minded people like us, concerned citizens worried about protecting ourselves, our loved ones, and the things we care about from the monsters we know exist in the world? How do we train in a way that gives us the skills, knowledge, and understanding we need without becoming paranoid fighters or killers ourselves, and yet still allows us to be the hero protector the world needs us to be? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Jeffrey Miller, and welcome to Kuden Radio, real training for real people in a real world. All right, and I'm back. Uh, James is on standby on the other side. Uh, is my voice coming through strongly enough? I know I have an air con operating in the background. Like I said, we're in Miami, and the humidity is way up, so I don't want to turn this thing off. Uh, again, wife's not feeling well, and I want to make sure that she stays comfortable. Anyway, so uh, why did Ninja wear black, right? Um, so there's this, well, actually, there's this, um, oh, what is it called? Anchoring bias. You guys know what an anchoring bias is? An anchoring bias is the tendency to base everything on the first piece of information you get, Okay. Uh, let me give an example of this kind of in a real-world kind of sense, right? Let's say that you go to a high-end furniture store, right? You're trying to find a chair for your office, right? And you find one really comfortable, fits well, looks nice, that kind of thing, right? It's 350 bucks, okay? So then you go to another place. Maybe you go to a, like a, I don't know, Staples or uh, what's that one called? Um, not Home Depot, uh, it's the office version of, of it, but you get the idea, right? So it's high-end, or it's not high-end, it's kind of a middle-of-the-road kind of thing, but it's specific to business uh, people, right? So you find one, and, you know, it's not maybe not as classy, uh, still comfortable cushions, that kind of thing, right? Um, but it's, uh, it's, I don't know, 150 bucks, right? And then, you know, you go to Ikea, right? And you find one, 
And one, you had to put it together yourself. And two, um, the cushion's not as comfortable, not as plush, whatever, right? But it's good enough, okay? And on top of that, it's 40 bucks, okay? So what's going to happen in that scenario if, uh, if folks don't have a criteria for, let's say you're a lawyer or you're a consultant or whatever, and people are going to come into your office and, and you want a certain type of decor because it has to match their conscious bias of what they expect to see because that's how they're gauging things, right? And we'll talk about conscious bias here in a second. But um, what's going to happen is we're going to see that first, uh, that first price, 350 bucks, who knows, it can be more, right? But 350, and then we're going to base our decision on the price of the other two, and they're going to become more attractive based on that first price, right? Especially if we don't want to pay 350 bucks, right? So they're going to get more and more attractive, but what we're going to do is we're going to settle for good enough. Well, since they, what the hell does that have to do with what we're talking about tonight? Well, I'll get to... The, the ninja's uniform or the, the shinobi shizoku here in just a minute. But let's say, here's, here's another example. We're going to stay within the martial arts realm, okay? Let's say that someone's goal is black belt. Maybe not just black belt, but they want to have a black belt because they want to teach. Okay, great, right? So they go to one teacher, okay? And that teacher's curriculum is laid out a certain way, right? This person is able to get rank at a certain pace, okay? And then they go to another teacher, and that teacher's curriculum looks very different, right? This teacher, there's more to each rank level. Let's say in the first uh, situation, um, for a lot of you guys that have been around the Budenkot for a long time, um, you know that more often than not, rank is based on... Not not loose standards, but more often than not, because I've had people tell me there, there are no standardized tests in the Bujikan. Okay, well, there's a blanket statement, but okay, um, but they go to the the, uh, the next teacher. The teacher has an expanded curriculum because everything is based on producing results, not an assumption of results, but a baseline of look. These are what this is the stuff that. All right, I apologize, guys. The free internet here at the uh, hotel, uh, apparently not quality, because it just dropped me. Apparently, we're going to be working on perseverance as well as talking about why ninja wear black. But anyway, right, so here's this, here's this thing, right, this anchoring bias. And then anchoring bias leads to something called conscious bias. Conscious bias is I believe something to be true or my perspective or viewpoint is a certain way about something, uh, the belt colors, right? Which, <laughs> see, how many times have we had conversations about the history of the Bujinkan and how things got developed and whatnot, right? So teachers developed their own, all right, let's try this again. Have we saved anybody? Like, are my diehards still with me, right? Can you hear me okay? All right, so I just bypassed the whole hotel thing, and I'm using my cell phone as a hotspot, and we'll see if this maintains a decent enough uh, signal or whatnot. So I'm going to unlock James over here. Whoop. And Nate, I'm like, 
Thanks, Jay. <laughs> you don't want to run things? <laughs> anyway, I have to take those things back off again. Anyway, where the hell was I? Um, all right, so again, I, I think I mentioned this before, but we're obviously working on perseverance as well as the other stuff here as well, right? So, um, James, where did I drop off this time? <laughs> did I get through anchoring bias? Did I get how that leads to conscious bias? Yes, yes. Okay. So, conscious bias, I'm, I'm just going to repeat that one again just so everybody has it, right? So, conscious bias is whatever my belief system, uh, perspectives, or whatever on any given thing is, uh, what I'm going to tend to do is not only look for things that validate that, but I'm also going to, I'm going to give everybody the benefit of the doubt, right? Um, more often than not, we're going to do this uh unconsciously, right? And what we're going to do is ignore anything that doesn't match, right? We could actually go full bore and and, uh, and uh, uh, you know, attack it, knock it, be judgmental, all those kind of things, right? This is a, this is a, a big thing that the folks who went through the Sanjay Shichi Dobon 37 Fundamentals course a big thing uh, that they went through, uh, especially the four foundations of mindfulness uh, part of it, and of course will be a huge part of the, the program coming up, right? But anyway, again, what ends up happening is, uh, again, there, there are these judgment kind of things. And even if we get correct information or corrected information, right, what could end up happening because of the anchoring thing, right? Whoever we got information from first, whatever that information was, whatever, right? Um, that develops a conscious bias now, right? Because especially if it's something we grabbed a hold of because we like it and we're going to head in that direction. But uh, then what ends up happening is even if we get corrected proper information, we're going to resist it because it won't pass through the conscious bias uh, filter, okay? So, again, anything that I put out in these classes, please take it for whatever value it has for you, because a lot of the things that I end up covering run contrary to what some people um, have learned or understand, okay? Um, most recent story... Uh, I actually have, I have a back and forth conversation going on with somebody who, uh, you know, wants to get training and whatnot. They live closer to me and, and those kind of things. Um, but they've already been uh, taught that there's a certain type of belt coloring system. And, uh, well, we'll just stop there because I don't know what's in the other curriculum they went through. Um, but ours is different, right? Ours is different. Ours is the coloring for our belt system matches the mandala because those colors match the life mastery side of the training, right? The seishin keki, those kind of things, right? As opposed to just being this old system that I actually started with, right? Well, why the change? Lots of reasons, different episode, okay? Um, but their questions come from a perspective and actually written out as a 
this is the way it is. Please explain to me how there's this in this official system. Okay? So part of my conversation is going to have to be around the fact that um, there were no belt colors back in the day in the Bujinkan. Everybody wore a black uniform, which means everybody wore a black belt. The black belt matched their uniform and kept their jacket closed. It had nothing to do with rank. In the Bujinkan, rank was worn as a patch on the left lapel, and that patch has different color iterations to it. And then, like, you get the patch at an initiation stage. So if you're in the Q levels, it was a red patch with white kanji and a white border, right? Black belt, white kanji turns black, white border turns black. Shidoshi, fifth done, right? All the black is now trimmed in white, right? That kind of thing, right? And then the Q or Don levels between iterations, you either got silver or gold stars to go in your uniform. So it had, no, had nothing to do with belt color, okay? So, again, you know, this goes back to when, when people tell me they only want to do things the traditional way. They only do want to do things the classical way. And I have to ask them, what period in history are you talking Is your idea of tradition discussing? Okay. Which part of, uh, of history, you know, when somebody says they want to live the samurai lifestyle or they want to, they're a modern day samurai. Okay, great. But what are you basing that image on? Because the word samurai, right, comes from the verb samurai to serve, right? But that term, applied to a warrior over time, over different eras, was in a different rank class, right? They held a different position and their job and duties were very different, right? I know it's easy to fantasize about things and it's easy to like read some romanticized kind of thing or get our head wrapped around something where a blanket term was thrown on it. But that can lead us down kind of a back alley, right? And again, you know, as we define things, it sets up everything else that we do. So we have to be careful, okay? So this is where the black uniform thing comes in, okay? Um, and I know people have seen these things in uh, pictures in everything from history and tradition by Atsumi Sensei, right? You need to do history and tradition um, or whatnot. But um, historically, Let's talk about historically, right? Way back. Way back, right? Um, one, the people we know of as ninja weren't even called ninja. Okay? There are a long list in, in the different scrolls and history, historical accounts and uh, things like that. There were Kusha and, and Khan and uh, Shinobi, uh, all kinds of names, right, uh, to identify these people. And then there were uh, there were different, in Bonsachukai, there's what, James, 10 or 12 different types of ninja that were outlined, right? I mean, Jonin, Chunin, but even Ganyan, then there were these sub-classes, depending on whether the person was even in the clan, whether they even knew they were being used as an operative, anything like that, right? So when people talk about wanting to be a ninja, well, what the hell does that mean, okay? Because there were different types of ninja, too, okay? But, again... Everybody grabs a hold of something, and because they want to do it, that it's this thing that they want to do, then everything else gets filtered out. So, anyway, all right. So, 
let's 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 dispel the the stealth myth, okay? Um, with, with the with the black, right? Um, historically, black was a very 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 did I mention very very difficult color to produce. Most of the dyes and things like that were made from from plants and vegetation. Anybody here know of any black plants or vegetation? Okay. Now, could have got it from squid ink or whatever, but they didn't have color fastening and things like that. So what you were more often likely to get were uh, blues or indigos or maroons or, uh, you know, whatever, darker grays, those kind of things, right? So, um, which, by the way, are colors that actually work better um, at night for stealth than black, okay? Um, one of the things I was just covering with my inner circle guys is that, you know, if you really, really think about this, um, in the, in, if you live in a big city, this is almost inconceivable, okay? Because lights are always on, okay? I mean, I, I live in a semi-rural area, and uh, so there are areas where I could be driving through, and it's it's pretty dark, okay? Um, and you always know when you're coming up on a, a larger town or a city uh, at night because long before you see houses and lights and things like that, what you see is a glow on the horizon, okay? So, uh, and then that glow... Uh, reflects off the stratosphere and the ionosphere, right, and creates this this light. Okay, but you would have to have like an extremely dark night, or you would have to be an extremely dense uh, forest and things like that, right, with lots of canopy, lots of cover. Okay, and when I say an extremely dark night, I mean lots of cloud cover for black to work. Okay. Um, my guys who are either active military or veterans, you know this, right? You've been out in training, uh, training ranges and things like that on military uh, uh, forts or bases or whatever, right? And if you have a clear night and there's nothing else around and there's no moon, there's still lots of light because the darker it gets, the more stars you can see in the sky and the more that affects your eyes and what you're able to see and those kind of things, right? And then the more your, your pupils can open up and you get this quote-unquote night vision, right? Your eyes do that to pick up smaller amounts of light, okay? So to see a black shape standing or moving through, through your, your, uh, your field of vision and there's no accompanying person or animal to match that, it's going to stand out, right? Because black is going to produce a void in space. Yeah, well, sometimes it can work and sometimes it can, yeah, okay, right? I'll give you the sometimes, right? But what are you going to do when you have to go on an operation? Uh, remember, they didn't have cars and all that kind of stuff. So it could take days or weeks to get where they're going, right? Lots of traveling. So what are you going to do um, on the nights when it's not pitch black, when you have a quarter moon, half moon, full moon? whatever okay so that's one consideration one consideration is just they didn't have the technology to produce it right i have i have students i have one student in my school um richard i love him to death he's been with me since he was 42 years old so that was in 1989 90 
do the math, right? Richard's been around for a little while, right? But Richard um, got himself trained as a blacksmith, right? And a lot of blacksmithing, metalworking uh, skills that brand new students get introduced to today, they didn't have that technology back in the day. But he has a hard time getting his head wrapped around that because, well, it's an easy technique for you in the 21st century. Okay? But 13th century, whatever, okay? not so much, right? So we have, to, we have to think about these things, okay? So better colors for the ninja for stealth work would have been these darker colors that at night just become different shades of gray to the human eye. And that blends in better to the rest of the world or the rest of the landscape, which, yes, there are dark pockets, but you can't just hang out in one pocket. you got to move, right? Um, so you, you want something that's more utility, okay? So let's get color out of the way for the moment, okay? Let's, let's take a look at this, this other piece, right? Um, the, the mask, okay? Um, because everybody's used to seeing these things where you've got this, you know, and they didn't have spandex, right? So the spandex hood and the little cowling hood kind of thing that goes on and gets tied, uh, yeah, no, <laughs> right? So... Uh, how do you make a head wrap, right? How do you make a face mask, okay? Before we discuss that one, let's back up a little bit here, okay? Let's talk about something that most people don't think about very much, okay? They don't think about it when we talk about uh, the ninja uh, walking steps as well. We'll do that in a different uh, episode or maybe one of the Whiteboard Wednesdays. But, uh, well, you know what? Let's, let's talk about the top for a second, right? Um I've had students come into the school, usually teenagers or early 20-somethings that, um, I don't know, don't have a girlfriend or whatever, but um, they decide that it's going to be cool to wear their jikatabi, right, the ones with the rubber soles, the ground tabi, right, so jika means ground. Um, they're going to wear that out in public, okay? And uh, at least one student that did that, one that really stands out, he was, I don't know, 16-ish, whatever, um, got himself in trouble once, and uh, I found out he was wearing this stuff around town, and I said, don't do that. that. One, if you screw up again and it's you cross this line right here, um, we won't have to have this, this conversation. But if you think you're wearing tabi because you're going to be invisible as a ninja at night in the 21st century, um, so this was in the like late 80s, early 90s, so I was allowed to call them retarded. Okay, so, but, um, but it is right. It's just retarded means slow. So before anybody gets all like weirded out, anyway, um, I said all Tabi prints in this area lead back to warrior concepts, lead back to the Bujinkan Kudu Dojo. Who the hell else wears Tabi? Right? I mean, why would you not be wearing stuff that everybody else is wearing? Well, but in ancient Japan, in ancient Japan, everybody wore geta or sandals or bare feet or whatever. So that shit blended in because you had a whole bunch of other footprints in dirt that looked the same. Okay, so 
if you're wearing unique shoes, if you're wearing your funky five-toe shoes, if you're wearing things, I mean, uh, manufacturers of shoes these days, they all have things that they've worked into the tread of their of their shoes. And a list of these things, just like uh, vehicle manufacturers with paint and all that kind of stuff, right? These long lists. Law enforcement gets these things, right? No two have the same, uh, no two manufacturers have the same chemical makeup and things like that. So it's easy to get forensic evidence and look at the spectrum and go, that's a Ford, whatever. They may not know what vehicle it goes on, but they, they now know make, right? Same thing with, with sneakers. And then the way you walk and create tread patterns and things like that, see, everything changes, right? But at least get something that's freaking neutral, right, that everybody has, right? So, but let's look at this idea, right, of all tabby prints lead back to warrior concepts or, uh, you know, our dojo, right? If a ninja gets caught wearing what we think of as an official ninja suit, nobody else wears that. What's he going to say? That's not me. When I was a cop, I heard that all the time, right? Like you catch somebody's hand in the till on video. That's not me. You better have twins. <laughs> um, but what if you get caught, right? So when, when people are thinking about stealth, they need to think about the idea of blending in more than just flat out being and invisible doesn't just doesn't mean that he can't see you. It also means that he doesn't perceive you. Okay? So yes, I may have to, right? Just like Superman, taking off a thing or Spider Man or whatever, right? But the ninja's probably not wearing his ninja suit underneath his clothes because they never quite show you in the movies how the superheroes get back into their damn clothes. Either that or they've got a closet full of extras, right? Um, but what about a ninja, right? So what are you going to do? Put it in a sack, throw it on your back? Oh, they didn't have backpacks. Shit, right? So how you can handle this, okay? Well, if I'm wearing clothing that's of the same design that everybody else is wearing, okay? And the obi is specially made so that when I take it off, the obi, the belt, not martial arts rank belt, obi, right? Obi, this wider thing, right? Think kimono, then look at the obi on that, right? And then think about, well, we're going to modify it a little bit more so that when I unfold it, right, the width of it, I'm going to unfold it. Right? We'll talk about length here in a minute. When I unfold it, it's now two and a half to three times as wide as what people see when it's around my waist. So then, this is something I teach students occasionally, right? There's a way to put it on your head, fold it around, right? Tuck things into your clothing, go do what you need to do. And then if you're being chased, if you're being, you know, if you need to like blend back in with the group after you get back out of what you're doing or whatever, you take the thing back off and you put it around your waist and you've got an obi again and, no harm, no foul. Okay? Um, I used to do things like that when I was doing uh, private investigation work. And I apologize if you're one of the guys in my inner circle and you're listening now. I, I know we just discussed this last week or the week before. But either way, uh, just let me borrow a minute here to get get everybody else caught up. Right? 
Um, so in my car, right, if I had to do surveillance or just needed to do surveillance very, very quickly, uh, it didn't matter if I was a PI or I was doing undercover work um, in, during my government days, right, I would carry uh, a go bag, right, um, or and, and I would actually have extra pieces here or there, right? So uh, I would have uh, windbreakers or jackets that were reversible, right? One color on one side, one color on the other, okay? Um, uh, ball cap or other type of cap that I can scrunch up, put into a pocket, that kind of thing, right? Um, the whole idea was if I thought that they might be on to me or maybe not, just every couple of corners that I turned, right? I could take a ball cap and turn it around backwards and put either put sunglasses on or take them back off again. Or I could flip the jacket around, or I could take the jacket off and tie the sleeves around my, my waist, or whatever. There were all kinds of combinations where I could alter my appearance by doing nothing but shifting clothing around, right? It's the same idea with this idea with the, with the, the Shinobu Shizoku, right? So, uh, and, and when it comes to, you know, the gauntlets or whatever you might call them, right, they go on the back of the hand and up the sleeve and all that, um, you know, look at Shinto shrine attendants, the, the, the virginal or the young girls who are Shinto shrine attendants, right, the Miko, right, um, they wear the same things. The Yamabushi, mountain ascetics, they wear the same things, okay? So this wasn't a uniquely ninja thing, okay? Um, they just you would choose certain colors and, and handle things a certain way, right? So anyway, um, but again, let's not forget about the, the the chance of getting caught because the punishment for a ninja getting caught back in the old days, well, I don't know, boiled in oil. We call it frying, deep frying today, right? <laughs> Boiling in oil, uh, decapitation. Uh, being drawn and quartered, all kinds of wild, crazy stuff, right? So um, ninja were not just dumb thugs where I'm going to do things that, you know, make me feel like a ninja, but are going to get me killed, okay? Um, um, I don't buy it. So so where the hell did this, this black outfit come from, okay? Well, we need to move way forward in history, right? Um, to see it start to appear in, well, for ninja, characters who were parts of kabuki theater plays. But, where'd that come from? Okay? So, before that point, when ninja started showing up in stories, right, in these kabuki plays, we need to back up before that. Okay, we need to understand a little bit about Japanese culture. Okay, and in kabuki theater, like a lot of Japanese theater, here's a, here's a big thing that people have a problem with, especially here in the West. We keep trying to translate foreign concepts, foreign culture, and this art, who it's foreign, right? Based on Western definitions, based on Western perspective. Anchoring bias, conscious bias, okay? Damn, things keep showing up, right? Okay. This is part of the, the enlightenment process, right? Not that it'll ever go away, but when you're aware of it and you understand that it's operating subconsciously, then 
you can consciously control your choices and how you operate because you take that into account. Okay? This week during uh, Warriors Black War Wednesday, I'm going to be discussing the uh, base level uh, flinch response, right? And how our kamai are already wired to take advantage of the flinch response. Okay? Because we can't, we can't get rid of it. Okay? You can minimize it as much as you want. It's kind of like that perceptual gap that happens when somebody surprises you, right? Uh, or between when you have to go into action, that, that uh, adrenal response kicks in, and you can start to function again. Okay? There's, there's a gap in there. So training is supposed to minimize that gap, but you'll never make it go away. Okay? So how do you train to take those things into consideration? Anyway, all right. So back to Kabuki. Okay? Kabuki theater, there are, no, there are no curtain calls. You know what a curtain call is? Okay? Not a cat call. Right? Okay? Not that. Right? A curtain call is when they bring the curtains in to change the scenery on the stage between scenes or between acts, whatever it is, right? They change stuff around and they open it back up again and you go from an outdoor scene to, a, to I don't know, somebody's living room or whatever, right? They don't have those. So what they used were stagehands who were dressed in this dark outfit. Okay? It became black over time, but it's black outfit, black footwear, legs tucked in, right? These gauntlets along the back of the arms, and this headdress on that completely made them black. And they would come out on stage and change props around. And from childhood, Japanese were taught to ignore that person because they're a stagehand, right? Treat them as though they're invisible. That way, when they're moving around the other actors, the other actors are supposed to just ignore them like they're not even there, okay? So there's, this, there's already this perception going on, right? So now we're going to start to bring ninja into the plays, into the storylines, okay? And it's one thing when they're just interacting in society, right? But the, when they're all dressed up and they're working their ninja magic and they're becoming invisible and they're moving around and influencing things, right? How can we dress these guys so that everybody will not ignore them now? Because we want the audience to ignore them, but we want it to make sense that the characters or the actors on stage would be ignoring them as though they were invisible. Kabuki theater stagehand uniform costume. Okay? So it starts to make more sense, right? That now, which history are we talking about? Are we talking about pre use in Kabuki theater all the way back, or are we talking about this outfit that was born of, okay? Uh, and for anybody that's ever been to Japan with me, uh, we have on occasion bumped into people who are not training in ninjutsu, who are not themselves ninja, but are dressed like ninja. Okay? And what happens is my students will go, oh, I saw a guy dressed like a ninja over there. 
and I have to say, he's not dressed like a ninja, <laughs> right? Um, it could be somebody who's uh, surveying land. Uh, we've been to a couple of temples here or there where they were doing renovations, and so these guys were out doing certain things. They could be uh, photographing. They could be, uh, again, doing surveying, whatever. But even in modern Japanese society, these folks, these professionals, these workers will dress in a black gi with jikatabi, kyahan, or they'll just tuck their pants into the jikatabi, uh, gauntlets and stuff like that, right? And they dress this way. Usually they don't have the headdress on. They're, they're just doing their job, right? And you'll see Japanese people just kind of moving around them and just ignoring them. They won't stop and watch them work or whatever. That's us, right? Um, they, they don't even they don't even they don't even pay any attention, right? And the reason for that is they've been taught, right? Here's this stage handler's kind of outfit, right? These people dress this way, so it's a cue to everybody else to ignore me. Treat me as though I'm invisible. So I'm, I, I'm, I'm going to interfere with your day as minimally as possible. Does that make sense? Does that make sense, James? You get that? Okay. So, um, but what I do want to do before we move on to, to something else is, is discuss the, the flaws, right, in this ninja outfit. Okay. Because one, just like in ancient Japan, if you're caught skulking around in what is obviously a ninja ninja outfit, ninja suit, ninja night suit, whatever, right? Somebody calls the cops on you or somebody sees you, right? Okay. At best, you're going to be seen as a geek in a, in a ninja costume, right? Um, at worst, the guys with the guns are going to show up. God help you if you have a sword strapped across your back, okay? So therein lies a problem. But I'm going to start kind of blending things here, okay? So everybody's wearing trousers, right? We've got these ninja night suits that are trousers. The problem with that is that way back in the day, um, no trousers. Okay? Well, there had to be, Sensei, because I've seen these pictures, and they're wearing pants. No, they're not. They're wearing hakama, split skirts, and each half is wrapped around a leg and tied with a cord. Or later on, they develop these things that we call kyahan, right? that go around your, your lower legs, okay? But they fashioned a kind of pants, but they, they carried these cords, right? And they gathered them in at the knee and at the ankle. And the idea of gathering these things in, just like uh, uh, people that ride horse, and they wear these chaps or they wear the like a leg wrap or a high boot or whatever, it's to keep their clothing from snagging on brush and bramble and branches and things like that, right? So if we are trying to be stealthy, right, we don't need hakama between our legs snagging or brushing across the high grass because they didn't mow their lawns back then either, right? So all these things they didn't do that we take for granted, right? So we don't need this, this constant noise or whatever, right? So that's a stealth feature. But they didn't have things like that, right? So, but the biggest thing for me is this damn hood, right? It's this, this, not, even if we didn't have the spandex uh, mask, right? The, the head covering, right? You got this hood that goes on, right? 
if if anything, if any of you have anything like that and you still you like using it, I'm not here to talk you out of anything like that. You do you, right? But in reality, they would go on backwards. You put the hood on, right? Tie it off, right? Sticks this way. And then you're going to have to fold that back a little bit and then put the face covering over so you just have your eyes this way. And here's the reason. We're out there not only for stealth, but we're out there to not get caught. That's part of the idea of stealth, right? To not be perceived, okay? But if I have this, this face thing on, right, this, this head covering, and then I've got this hood, okay? The hood flares, Okay? You don't have to wear one of those. You could just wear a hoodie. You don't have to wear a hoodie. You could just look at all the, the, the weirdos that wear hoodies in the summertime and whatever. I know it's comfortable. Okay? Yeah. Until you stroke out. But anyway, right? So you got this hood on. Okay? So two problems with this. One, if a breeze comes along, this material is going to flap. It's going to make noise. And the second one is you now have blinders on. So, one, I lose my peripheral vision, and I can't see movement or motion. While I'm focusing on this thing over here, nothing will catch my eye from the side to alert me to somebody possibly being around, okay? So, what this does is it forces me, right? Well, if I even hear them, because now I have two or three layers of material covering my ears, so it's going to take a louder noise for me to hear it. Hmm, interesting, right? Well, won't the OB being tied around? No, okay? It's, it's the way it's tied, right? So there's a slight muffling, but it's not to the same degree. But here's the big problem. Have you ever been out at night, maybe shining a flashlight or just kind of walking around or whatever, and you either saw a wild animal, right, uh, depending on where you live, right, skunk, possum, uh, raccoon, cat, dog, whatever, right? You see these things, right? And the light catches them just right, and their eyes boom, light up, right? You've seen this, yes, right? They use it in everything from horror movies to Scooby-Doo, right? Got the glowing eyes, right? Um, ours do that, too. At night, because the pupils are wide open, because our eyes are dilated to pick up light, right? When bright light hits our eyes, hits the retina in the back, because there's that big aperture, your eyes glow red. Okay? So what this cowling does is forces you, if you hear the noise, to have to look for it and bring your eyes toward a light source. Okay? So there's a huge problem with this stealth thing. Okay? But we're still left with black, right? We wear black. Right? In the Bujinkan, we wear black. That's the color of ninja, right? That's the that's the thing, right? So, what the hell, right? Why black? Why not white like in karate? Why not, I don't know, right? So, before we talk about that, I just had a weird shifting in my head here because I've been on a boat for <laughs> a couple of three, four days. And my mind, my brain finally adjusted for it. And now I'm on solid land, but my brain keeps trying to adjust for things. So every once in a while I have this little moment. Um, so, James, any questions or comments up to this point before uh, we go into this next piece? 
Dave Fletcher said earlier, maybe there is an evil opposing ninja in the hotel attempting to thwart your teaching tonight. You must have been around for a long time, Dave, because that used to be a joke that we had a long time ago. If anything went wrong in the world or interrupted our seminar or whatever, we got this damn Koga ninja because all of our families come from the Iga, Iga region, right? Just damn Koga ninja. Absolutely. Maybe. <laughs> but other than the highs and lows, no, that's it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Who's on? I don't want to bring this stuff up because I don't need to get it hijacked. Uh, Dave Fletch, Gary Grant, James T. 681, Jimmy. Jimmy. Jimmy, Jimmy. Victor. Awesome, awesome. See, Victor, I'm in your neck of the woods, but probably not close. And I leave on a flight, I... As soon as I'm done with this, I have to put myself to sleep because I have to get up at 4.30 for a 7 o'clock flight. Two flights tomorrow to get back home. So anyway, um, for those of you who missed it earlier with all the Internet dropping and whatnot, uh, I'm in a hotel room in Miami with my wife trying to sleep. She did not do well on the on the cruise. Um, has some kind of stomach bug going on or something. So anyway. Um, there's a weird tension here. I am not wearing rouge or uh, uh, or uh, lipstick. I don't, I don't know. I'm looking at myself. Hopefully, my lips don't look as red to you as they do to me. I don't do that kind of costuming. So <laughs> I know this is the obligatory moment where I have to say, not that there's anything wrong with that, right? Um, but Anyway, that'll lose me a couple of followers. <clears throat> anyway, um, okay, all right. So let's let's jump into this next piece. Okay, why black? If not for stealth, why black? Okay. So let's start with why not white? Okay, because here in the West. And this goes way back, way back, right? White was the color of good. Black was the color of evil, right? So the, the good guy cowboy always wore a white hat. The bad guy cowboy wore a black hat. Then you got in the late 70s, Chuck Norris coming along with, you know, movies like Good Guys Wear Black and stuff like that. It starts to get a little bit jumbled, but still there's all these references in our society, right? Clergy, more often than not, wear white. They may wear something on top of it, color-wise, like purple or whatever color for their church or denomination or whatever. But clergy wear white. Uh, even if they wear black, right, priests wear black or whatever, there's that white collar, right? There's the, always this designator kind of thing, right? Um, in the very first ninja movie that came out uh, here in the West, uh, Enter the Ninja with uh, Franco Nero, and the, uh, not Shikim. Uh, who was it? Uh, Shokasugi. There you go. Thanks, Shokasugi. How can I forget? Anyway, um, they dressed Franco Nero in a white ninja outfit, and that's how he hid in grass. And, okay, 
do we have white uh, outfits and things like that? Uh, yeah. See, a white uniform way, 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 way back in the day was way easier to come up with than an all-black one, right? Um, but, yeah, you, you'd use that when there's a shit ton of snow all over the place, right? Because that's what you're going to hide, right? Uh, in black or dark colors or whatever, a little bit more difficult. Okay? So, uh, but in the East, those colors are reversed. Okay? Not that white means bad guy. Okay? White is the color of death. It's the color of uh, purity or being unstained. Okay? And actually, that, that concept shows up on the mandala twice. One is white, but that's more of a void color, right? Um, or the color of a mirror reflecting light back. Not an image, but lights reflecting in the mirror, and it just glows white. It's kind of like the, the facets on a, on a gem, right? The ones that are bouncing that light off towards your eye, right? The sparkle comes because they're flashing white, right? So, but it's the color of, uh, uh, it is the color of death, right? Monks and nuns uh, in Buddhism tend to wear uh, white uh, because you are dead to the world, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. Uh, in some sects, like the Tendai sect that I'm a, a teacher in, right? Uh, the uh, the student monks, right? The ones that are still in in training, so to speak, right? Uh, they tend to wear gray, which is meeting up both, right? So they're they're still they're still doing worldly things that they're trying to you know get over and whatnot, but they're learning to head in the other direction kind of thing, right? But there's this, there's this quality of purity, right? Um, but black, right? Black is the color of the warrior, right? Not just in ninjutsu. It's the color of the warrior, okay? It's on the mandala. It's in the northern realm, okay? So if you're looking at the Kongokai mandala with those five circles that look like a Roman cross, right? It's going to be in the, in the north. I know. I'm pointing to what for you is the West, but it's the way that Mandala is oriented, okay? North, South, West, East, okay? Uh, and the Taizokai is laid out the same. Anyway, it's, it's the way they go together. So, um, but black is the color that absorbs all light. Uh, I remember back in junior high school in just general science class. In the wintertime, we took, uh, everybody had their own, but we took a piece of black cloth, we took a piece of white cloth, and we took them outside and laid them on a snowbank. Anybody ever do this uh, experiment? You lay it out there um, midday, and you come back later, and you move both pieces of uh, cloth, right? And the the snow under the white one is it hasn't changed. The snow under the black one has melted, not completely, but you, you get the idea, right? It's changed because black is pulling in all the stuff it absorbs. Right? Um, 
just like in the yin yang, right? The black side is the yin, right? The female energy, the receiving energy, okay? Yang, the white side, right? Projecting, that kind of thing, right? Um, by and large, unless you're running into uh, uh, royalty or certain clans doing certain things for a certain reason, right? Desert uh, people tend to wear very, very light colors because it reflects, it repels, it reflects the, the, the light and the heat and, and the, the stuff like that. You don't want to be wearing friggin' dark clothing uh, in that kind of uh, bright light and stuff like that because it absorbs it, right? You'll bake inside your clothing. Okay? I know people get used to doing certain things, but they're also going into and out of air-conditioned uh, locations on a regular basis, okay? But it's this idea of, of, of absorbing, okay? So, and here's where I didn't get a chance to cover things for my inner circle guys uh, last class. Symbolically, black represents our willingness to take on that which most people can't or won't. Okay? So this goes right back to the endurance the enduring person, right? Ninja means an enduring person. Nin, enduring, persevering, right? Uh, and Cha or Sha is a person, right? So the whole idea is that you are willing and able to take on that which would make most people shit themselves, okay? Um, or fold, or whatever, right? And then this points directly to the three aspects of a ninja, right? The Miwo Shinobu, the body capable of enduring, the Kokoro Shinobu, the mind capable of enduring, and the Shiki Shinobu, right? The, the insight or perspective, um, the... It's not really spirit, because Kokoro, mind, is actually a mind-spirit-core kind of thing. So this is a perspective, insight kind of thing that's not just adaptable, but it's it's the ability to reconcile what's going on inside with what's going on outside. And the the ability to, it's, it's almost like a self-checking. Because one of the goals, again, for those of you signed, that are already signed up for the, the uh, First Seven Steps program that's coming up, and by the fact, we start this Thursday, um, uh, we're going to be taking a look at this idea that what we're the goal is to bring our perspectives and views and things like that as close to being in line with universal truth, right? What is, right? The closer we can bring those together, not only do we attain more clarity, not only do we cut through illusions and our own inner illusions, which are called delusions, right? Um, but the better able we are to produce results more easily because we understand how things work and we're now working with universal law instead of pulling the salmon thing and swimming up upstream. Okay? And we all know what happened to salmon when they swim upstream, right? Most die along the journey and those who do make it and spawn, what happens to them after that? They die. Okay? So, uh, Anyway, so um, 
So why did Ninja wear black, right? The, the big thing I wanted to get to was this symbolic reasoning, right? Everything, if, if there is, and this is something, again, uh, everything keeps bouncing back off these same programs, but there, if, if there are these universal laws, Hatsumi Sensei, right, used to always just use the word natural, right? She's in natural. Post the universal truth, call it Dharma, call it the what is, call it whatever you want, right? That if this is the goal, then the trick is to work to be a walking, talking example of that goal. But, this is a huge but, and we've all seen huge buts, but not that kind, okay? But, just one T. Um, getting there is going to take more effort, energy, uh, commitment, desire, whatever, than most people could even imagine. Okay. So, and the, the closer we get, right, and it's not even a closer, even just from starting, right? Remember that, that anchoring bias that I talked about and the conscious bias? And what, we have to root that stuff out. Okay? And ego is going to be resisting that stuff because as soon as we tell ourselves that something is true, verbally, non-verbally, whatever, okay? ego will guard that. Okay? So that creates an inner struggle internal struggle, right? So for those of you who know the character Fulomio, right, there's this lasso he carries in his left hand, right? You have to bind that stuff up. You're going to have to bind up ego and his demons to keep yourself moving, right? And we're going to be challenging perspectives or beliefs about the world, about other people, about how things work. It's, it's quite the challenge. And then the more you wake up, the more you're going to be in tune with and recognizing the bullshit and the storytelling and whatnot that people tell themselves, that people are trying to blow in your direction, whatever, right? Your BS meter gets really, really sensitive. That's going to cause more challenging. It's going to cause more suffering. It's going to cause more. And here's the thing, right? Not only are we willing to take it on, and most people take that as an incidental. I'm willing to take on challenges that most people would shut down from. Okay? The instant assumption is that it's shit that the world or other people are going to throw at me. Okay? No. I'm going to increase my ability to handle challenges by creating experiences for myself that force me to do that. Because in Mikyo, it's not about working on it until it happens. It's to create it as quickly as possible. So instead of waiting for the world to provide opportunities for me to practice or to use my skills or whatever, I'm going to generate those experiences so that I can see that which I need to see, hear that which I need to hear, experience that which I need to experience, and so on. Right? But 
this idea of black, okay, is the color that represents. It's a symbolic representation. So in the, in the wind realm, right? What am I pointing? Uh, in your direction? Yes, correct. I point in the correct direction, right? For you, right? So in the northern realm, right, the wind realm is the realm of the warrior, the realm of self-sacrifice, okay? And there's two colors that match over there. There's a dark green and there's a black. Because on the mandala, the colors that kind of go around, right, uh, represent the path of the student and the path of enlightenment, right? But from a mundane perspective, it's also the passage of, the, of, a, of a single day, dawn, midday, dusk, overnight, contemplation time, that kind of thing, right? But the reason for the two colors in the in the uh, in the wind realm is again. Remember, I said it's the course of a day, right? So you've got blue, yellow, reddish, orange, green, or black, and white's in the middle. We put brown in our belt system where the white should be, only because most people wouldn't understand how white belt came just before black belt. See, you thought it was weird too. Okay. Why did we think it was weird? Because you've already been conditioned. Right? So, but the passage of a day, green, like a darkish green, or black, why one color or the other? Depends on whether you have a moon out or not. So, anyway, lots of symbology later on for those who jump on the Mikyo uh, wagon, right? Uh, but, either way. So, what I want to do is get to this thing. Hopefully I gave you enough thoughts about all these other things. It's not that something you can't wear black at night. It would just have to be really, really, really freaking dark, right? But what happens when it isn't? Okay. Um, so, anyway, um, James, what do we have? Any questions, comments? I'll open things up here for a minute or three, and then I've got to get my happy ass to bed so I uh, can function when I get up at 4.30. Well, the only thing Victor asked, black or maroon, I'm not exactly sure where that comes from. Black or maroon, what's that? Was that, you're not not sure? Yeah, it's a, just what he has, black or maroon, but I think. Oh, yeah, maroons, uh, Hotspice says this in a lot of his books, uh, even in the book, Nijitsu History and Tradition, um, blacks, uh, not blacks, uh, darker grays, dark blues, um, the greens that they made the maroons definitely um, darker grays but you know they produce dark gray right you make white clothing and you wear it a lot and it gets dirty and then it doesn't wash well okay? they didn't have like treated materials and stuff so uh, just like belt colors right people get like all jazzed about belt colors I have this belt color already from this martial art why do I have to start again in a white belt in your martial art because that belt color that you have in that art doesn't it doesn't mean you have the same belt color over here. Okay? But there's one theory about belt colors, and, and actually the belt color system was actually created um, by Jitaro Kano, the founder of judo, because he wanted a grade system that was visible for school students who were learning this stuff. But the Q Don ranking system actually comes from Buddhist uh, temples, and training for monks. So, see, as soon as people experience that, okay, this belt color matches this cue, and 
things just get stuck, right? And then uh, we call that being anchored, right? I mean, I can anchor somebody to every time I say something and I want a certain response back, right? I can just kind of touch my ear, right? I do that with youth at the dojo. Right? I teach them when they come in and we're doing respectful uh, uh, respectful interaction right? because we run a professional academy. Right? So we talk about respect and what it means and, you know, uh, tell, tell me a way that you can show respect to mom and dad. Okay? Right? You can get your homework done, not fight, clean up after yourself, and do what mom and dad tell you to do the first time they tell you. Can you do that? And I'll do this. I'll touch my ear, right? Um, and then, you know, they'll say yes or whatever, right? Usually before that, because all the stuff is scripted at my place, before that, um, we'll discuss the whole um, professional terms within the school. And I know how it's fashionable, right, in the rest of the martial world, at least in the Bujinkan, for everybody to use first names. Okay? But a human being, especially in the West, right? As soon as you're on a first name basis, then you're peers. Okay? And I know how people talk about teacher-student relationship, but somebody really has to understand it, keep it in check, that kind of thing, right? But peer-to-peer relationship, that's where you get students that, you know, interrupt in class, they uh, they want to get over on certain standards, right? Like, hey, let's just don't really like to do that. Well, I don't care. Okay. Um, so a long time ago, we, we just nixed that by just going back to uh, doing it Japanese style. In Japan, they call people by their first name. They call Westerners by their first name. Okay. When was the last time you walked up to Hatsumi-sensei and said, hey, Masaki, what's up? Right. See? Sounds weird, doesn't it? Okay. Hey, Isamu, what's up? You know, Shrey Sensei, right? No. Shrey San. Shrey Sensei. Hatsumi Sensei. Right? Okay. Sensei is just a stand-in for Mr. at that point, right? Or San, Mr., Miss, whatever, okay? So we just went back to old-style Western things, right? Mr., Mrs., that kind of thing, or Sensei. And we definitely use yes, sir, no, sir, Okay. In dojo, hi, ie, hi, yes. Well, it's an affirmative. It doesn't literally mean yes. Okay? But we don't go, eh, yeah. Okay? Let me ask you a question. Hi, yes, sensei. Right? You don't say, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay? But people want to translate, they want to take that, I don't know, maybe because it makes them feel special. And suddenly, right, we're going to come over here. Well, you're not that guy, so I'm not going to treat you the same way. Wow. Okay, so you pick and choose who you're going to treat with high respect. Interesting. Right? Interesting. So, but as soon as we did that, and we put that in as the anchor, right, no one questions whether or not they can get over on certain requirements. No one, or rarely, do they interrupt in class, whatever, right? Everybody comes in, they're dressed, they're focused. Yes, James? It's a professional atmosphere for learning important things. It's a dojo. A translation for dojo, we look at the two kanji, a place where enlightenment takes place. 
know? Kind of like Keiko, right? Keiko, you know? Keikogi, right? Keiko, old ways. Keikogi, clothing for studying the old ways. Dojo, enlightenment uh, place. Dogi, enlightenment clothing. So, anyway, all right, what do we got? Anything? Questions? No? No, that was it. Any last-minute questions or anything that I can cover before I uh, wrap this up? Let's play Jeopardy. <laughs> anyway. No? I don't see anything now. Okay. So a couple of quick announcements. Uh, Whiteboard Wednesday, this Wednesday coming up, 3 o'clock, um, covering flinch response and tying that into uh, both natural human defensive response mechanisms. I know. Man, got weird hobbies. And our Kamai and how the Kamai already take into consideration or are already built around, right? most of them already built around this natural mechanism. Okay. Um, what else do I have? Uh, fall camp is coming up, right? That's uh, in five weeks, right? October 13th to the 15th. Uh, there are virtual uh, things and whatnot. Uh, James, if you can pop up the uh, the events page for them, that'd be great. And then also while you're in there, um, this Thursday, right, uh, we kick off, although we won't be kicking, right, the first class for the first steps on the path of the Buddha. And, of course, the word Buddha we all know means one who is awake, not some savior or religious term or whatever. Okay? It means one who is awake, right? Um, awake to what? Yeah, what is? Awake to, you can see things for what they are, not what you assume them to be, want them to be, need them to be, hope that they are, whatever, right? And you understand the way things work based on universal principles and universal law, not conditioning, not hopefulness, not programming, not education, okay? Um, so that actually is what a 16-week course, but if it's anything like Sanji Shichidobon, that one ran a couple of weeks over because people needed the extra work, and so I never charge anything extra for that. Students get what they need, so we're going to kick that off uh, this Thursday, and that will take us into, I think, mid-January, given that we'll be off a week or two for uh, holidays and or um, some of the, uh, the assignments folks are going to need a little extra work with, or we're going to, uh, we have review stages plugged into it as well. So that'd be cool. But uh, the first seven steps program is a prerequisite of absolute stuff that people need before they can begin on the path uh, for Mikio. Okay. Could they start it without it? Yeah, but not with me. Okay. Because there's, <laughs> there's a whole bunch of reasons, right? Uh, I've done all these pre-webinars. Uh, for how that works, um, but it's it's part of the path. It's 
it's part of this this journey and understanding and at levels because everything Mikyo is a simulacrum. Everything Mikyo um, is a is a condensed version of a larger lesson. Uh, there's some folks that jumped on the program and, and took advantage of one of the fast action bonuses, which unfortunately are gone because I was only doing that class once, um, where I introduced them to one part of a five-part uh, Mikyo uh, psychological self-defense uh, protection kind of thing. And that was like a two-and-a-half-hour class, if I'm not mistaken, you know, two-and-a-half-hour class. And um, just shy of two hours of it was all the prerequisite stuff that had to go on before they could do the the part that that was the quickest, but without it, it would have had no it would have had no meaning outside of what the the mantra literally translates to or how to put your hand in a certain position or whatever, right? So and since we're literally messing with sanity, right? We're either improving it or we're just going to create a super ego, right? Um, I don't risk those kind of things. So anyway, if you're still interested, uh, there's a thing on the site. I only removed one of the bonuses. Uh, no, I'm sorry. There are three fast action bonuses that are gone. Um, but there's still, uh, what, three tuition options and whatnot, trying to make it as easy as possible for folks that want to get on. Everything's recorded. Whatever, you can just, I don't know if James already has the link in there or not, but you can go over there and take a look at it and see the details. See if it's something for you, um, you know, uh, and then we'll go from there, okay? I'd love to help anybody that actually wants to pursue it earnestly, okay? Um, for those of you, I, I, this week I'm going to try to get the recordings finished from that last thing, but just so you know, if you are in on the uh, on that Mikyo training, the the recording, uh, the major editing is splitting into two parts. One is all the exoteric preemptive kind of stuff that we did, and then there'll be a, a little video for uh, that last part, right, that you did with the mudra, the mantra, the visualization, that kind of stuff, right? Um, but I have some long-distance folks that were not able to make it, so I need to split it so I can get that first part of the of the training to them and the agreement that you guys ran on, right, um, that you had to agree to before I would share that information uh, because they'll have to agree to that before they get the second half. Uh, and then, you know, I can be real clear to everybody, there'll be an email going out with the videos and stuff and a reminder, okay, um, a little bit stronger this time that – uh, if that stuff finds its way out into the wild, not only will uh, the student and I not be connected anymore, and not only will I not be turning or turning any more lessons on to them, but I'm so serious about this that I will let every other Mikio teacher that I know uh, know that they can't be trusted with that level of training. That's how serious I am about it. Okay. So, anyway, that goes for you too, Jim. No, I'm just kidding. James doesn't talk, so I don't know who he's going to tell. <laughs> All right. Anything else? No? We're good? No, sir. All right, guys. Let's uh, – we're, we're winding down 2023, okay? So hopefully you're still serious about things. Uh, if nothing else, right, 
uh, here's a here's an end of the year assignment for you to begin right now, okay? And that is to take stock in uh, where you are, okay? Now, given that you set goals for yourself, and given that you set goals for yourself at the beginning of the year, so that you have a timeline, right? We should always have short, mid-range, and long-term goals, but long-term goal being that big vision that I'm aiming for, right? As long as it's not too damn vague, right? Because if you can't see it in your mind, how the hell are you going to recognize it in the world, right? But given that you set goals for yourself, one, are you where you thought you would be by this point in the year? Two, whether you are or are not, what couple of things, three to five, maybe six, no more than that, right? Do you know need some work or that you'd like to bump up between now and the end of the year so that when we do the big New Year's, right, right? congratulations on your new beginning, right? We kick off Daikomio side. We have that first Goma uh, active uh, fire ceremony, active meditation, goal setting kind of thing, right? Um, that you will be ready to move. But this is this is kind of the twilight part, right? This is the assessment of. Okay, it's like going around the mandala. Right? We got to the end of the day. Okay, what have I accomplished? What? Do I need to hit the ground running with tomorrow? Okay. And um, what's still important? Okay. So anyway, uh, I'm going to call it a day. I will talk to everybody again next time. So for those of you in some of the programs we have, that will be, uh, I don't know if I'll make it home for the virtual class tomorrow. So minimum uh, Thursday for some of you, and then for other ones, uh, definitely on Friday. But uh, we'll see what happens tomorrow. Okay. All right, that's it. Talk to you everybody again soon. Good night, everyone. Get more of Kudan Radio. Subscribe through your favorite podcasting site or join our clan of serious modern warriors at OnlineNinjaAcademy.com.